0: Reflecting on the water As the sun shuts her eyes Don't know why you long copper. Watch the tide rolling With the moonlight Everything is silent On this end of night
1: You are listening to Missing Magnolias, Scarlett and Michelle here. And I hope by now everyone knows uh, who we are by the sound of our voice and hopefully aren't sick of us. We are extremely excited to welcome our guests here with us today. We have Carla Davis, who is a woman who is single handedly helping fund uh, multiple cold cases in her home state of Mississippi. Carla is a genealogist and she's the founder of DNA Davis. Welcome, Carla. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. I think uh, you're in the midst of multiple cold cases and you just got back from a bike ride. So thank you so much for taking the time. You sound like a busy woman. Well, yes, I am busy, but I am thankful for, for it all. I
0: truly am. Can you tell us a little bit about how you came to to be DNA Davis? How did you get this started? Sure.
2: So I truly believe that everyone has a right to know who they are and where they come from. But unfortunately, in some states, adoptees are denied that right to know, even as adults. So DNA Davis was born out of passion and dedication to help those adoptees rediscover their roots through genetic genealogy. But then a shift happened. In January of this year, I teamed with Authron, a state-of-the-art forensic lab based out of Texas. Now, my specialty is cold cases involving missing persons and unidentified human
0: remains. Wow, that's wow. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um so could you tell us a little bit about how that shift, how how your sort of career has changed with this new technology that we're all using?
2: Yes. Well, in 2018, after Barbara Ray Venter solved the Golden State Killer case, I believe that genetic genealogy became the central point a central tool for investigators to use to generate leads to solve these cases. So as a former Mississippian, I am on a mission to give every set of those unidentified remains in my home state, their names back. And so far we have identified five people that have their names back and have been returned or being returned to their families. That's, oh, that's amazing. I that must be so rewarding. It is truly rewarding. I mean, just knowing that they're being returned to their families and their families can finally have that closure is, I mean there's there are no words just to, to describe that.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I mean, you know we talk about prolonged missingness here and how much that affects. Uh, how huge that is for family, how long-term it is, and how psychologically traumatizing it is to have that prolonged missingness, that inability to sort of gr- grieve in the way that other people grieve, or or move on, in air quotes, in the way other people can sort of integrate their loss. Um, so we talk about how we think forensic genealogy is like, the like the same thing as mapping the human genome for for crime like it, it we I think it's huge I think it's going to change everything
2: I do believe it's going to change everything and I do believe that we are on the forefront of seeing cold cases being solved at rapid speed and I do believe that our world is becoming safer and in the future we're not going to have cold cases
0: I hope so Yeah. Wow. Can you tell us a little bit about, um, I guess, what your job entails? Like what what what's your day to day? What's the process like?
2: Um, I spent um, the majority of the day behind a screen on my computer, digging through census records, uh, obituaries, newspapers, mapping out the ancestry of a deceased person or a person of unknown parentage until I can get to a point to where I am certain that we have a location and a surname to go by. After we have that surname and location, then I scour missing persons databases like NamUs to see if they're uploaded to that database. And if they are, then I can make a match to the deceased person, and
0: then provide that lead to investigators to follow through. I love that you talked about NAMIS in that way because um, we're big proponents of, of getting that data in our national systems. And we know that many states do not require that You know, police departments upload cases on NamUs. Um, so that, is, that seems to be an integral piece of the puzzle, correct?
2: It is very, it's so important, I cannot stress that enough for the agencies to ensure that they do upload those missing persons cases, as well as the unidentified cases, unidentified remains. There are several several agencies that I've come in contact with that um, do not have all the remains uploaded into that system. It's not that they don't have a record of them or, or keep track of them, they're just not into the name of system. And it would be very helpful if all of them were there so that we could cross compare the results and find who those remains belong
0: to.
1: Could you discuss a little bit about race, ethnicity in the process of your research? For example, do individuals with African heritage have a more difficult time discovering their DNA histories? And do cases with minority individuals offer any additional complications? Do their cases get as much genetic genealogy attention?
2: That's a very good question. Race and ethnicity can play a big role in the research process. Now, not every time, but some of the time. Let me give you an example. Recently, I worked a case where the person had 42% Norwegian ethnicity. After I separated the matches into genetic clusters, I discovered that a group of those DNA matches we're still living in Norway. So I had to identify the common ancestors of that group of genetic relatives. And once I did, I was able to determine that I was probably searching for a set of grandparents who immigrated to the United States probably around 1920. I would say African-Americans, they do have a little bit more difficulty learning their histories. I say a little, actually they have a lot more difficulty. I mean, most of us with European ancestry, we can trace our deep ancestry often to the point of origin. And when combined with DNA, those cases are the easiest to work. African-American cases, they're a bit more challenging. Not only are there a lack of records, but they're also underrepresented in the DNA databases, which adds another layer of difficulty. Minority individuals and often recent immigration can add a layer of complication, but it doesn't mean the case cannot be solved. If a common ancestor between the genetic matches can be identified, then that's a good lead. If that can be found, then we can target test to identify the line of descent. And that is something we actually do a lot of. The only human remains cases that I've worked consisted of European descent, and African-American genealogy. So I can't really speak for any other minority groups, and I can't say they get any less attention. I know that if I had one, I would give it as much attention and dedication as I do with all my cases.
0: What would you say to somebody who wanted to be you when they grow up? How do they do that? And you know, what's your tips.
2: Well, you know what? That is not an easy question to answer. Unfortunately, there's not like a direct path to getting here. One thing that I I do see that we have in common is that we each come from an extensive background of unknown parentage experience. So my advice is to get involved with the DNA communities. One of the largest groups on Facebook that is dedicated to uh, DNA and genetic genealogy is the Facebook, Facebook group called DNA Detectives. Get into DNA Detectives, ask to become a member, learn the methodology, and practice with your own DNA results. Then you can come back to the group and you can help members who need help in their search because honestly, solving unknown parentage cases is the only way that I know of to gain the skill set required to solve the cold cases.
0: That makes sense. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, uh, the non-parentage cases that you do and, and sort of what those look like? Yes.
2: Yeah, so they are exactly the same way as Um, an unknown deceased person. The only difference is that we know who who the DNA belongs to in an unknown parentage case. So we're building out the trees and doing everything the exact same way that we would do in a deceased person's case. But the difference is we have two unknown components. We do not know the parents and we do not know who he is or she is. So we're working two different elements at the same time
0: arguably more difficult it sounds like
2: it just adds a layer of difficulty but it's as Marie Forleo says everything is outable. so <laughs> there you go <laughs> I mean if there's DNA there's a
0: chance it can be solved Oh, that's so optimistic. It's like a breath of fresh air in crime and justice because, (laughs) you know, we rarely have optimism in our field.
2: Exactly. I am incredibly optimistic. And I think everyone who is in this field is optimistic because we are seeing results. I mean, every single day, it seems there is a new case that has been announced and it has been solved through the efforts of investigative genetic genealogy.
0: Absolutely. 100%. Yes. I mean, uh, as an as the true crime nerd that I am, I'm in all of the subreddits and uh, really it's like every day, you know, uh, the people who we, we had monikers for for decades, you know, like Buckskin Jane, you know, now has yeah. a and now has a name and, uh, and her family can grieve. And and uh, so definitely, yes, every day we I see it as a lay person for sure.
2: I agree wholeheartedly. Every case is so different. You might can solve one case in a couple of hours and the next case is wow. gonna take you five or six months down the road or maybe even longer. You know, it just depends on how good those matches are in the database, you know, and that's why we encourage everyone to please test, upload your results to GEDmatch and Family Tree DNA, so that we can have those closer matches to solve these cases more quickly.
0: How how do you balance self-care? And, and like, you know, when I'm thinking about those cases that take five months, like how do you not work on those like 18 hours every day and stress yourself out? <laughs>
2: um, it, it can get to that point. And I really do have to force myself to step away from the screen and take some me time. And after a case is solved, I always make sure that I take a short break break between cases. Now that break could be two days, three days or I might I might need a week. I'm just not it just depends on the case. I recently worked on a case that involved a child and I honestly think that was the hardest case I have ever worked. and I mean I was literally depressed for days and I even now I think about the case and it still impacts me. but it also strengthens my commitment to these cases. So self-care, like after that case, I needed a few days just to recover and to reflect. And I took that time to reconnect with the present because I spend so much time digging, you know, into the past that I need to spend time in the present with my friends and my family. And it also helps me to realign with my purpose so I can get
1: back to it. Do you have any tools? um, You know, when a case in particular, you're just not making any headway with, is there a certain technique that you've found effective that can generate new ideas and new leads? You know,
2: with solving cases, you have to constantly think outside the box. So if you get to a point to where you just cannot find any information on this line and you need some help breaking through that brick wall and newspapers are not available. And you just, you know, you've used all the tools that you normally use to break through those brick walls. You have the DNA matches, but maybe the DNA matches are not lining up because you have misattributed parentage or something of that nature. Then, you know, sometimes you have to go to more modern technology like Facebook, find the people on Facebook and see if there's any mention whatsoever of any of those family members that you can that can help you break through that wall. Just yesterday, I was burning the midnight oil, late at night last night and the case I it was recent immigration. So I did not have the grandmother's name, but I found the person on Facebook and I was able to look through her face, her public profile. And she had mentioned, she had taken a little quiz that mother's maiden name and her father's mother's maiden name. And it was the key that I needed to unlock that brick wall. So you just never know where you might find that
0: information. I love that modern technology combining with our census records, like the things you reveal on Facebook. (laughs) I know, this little
2: test can really be helpful sometimes. (laughs) So, yeah, um, public profiles, they're beneficial. Even um, any posts that are made in forums, if there's, you know, if there's an interest in gene- genealogy, sometimes the people who have tested have also been in the forums in the genealogical communities, and you can find information there. You know, been verified is a is a public um, person ser- search. I mean, you have to pay for the subscription, but you can search those records, and there's so much information that you can um, pull out of those records that can help you break through the
1: breakthrough and give you some new information to work with. Um, we haven't mentioned yet that uh, some of the more high profile cases that you've helped and been instrumental in solving, in particular, the uh, one of the victims of Samuel Little, who we now know as Clara Birdlong. What's it been like uh, being able to help with these high profile cases? And I'm sure you're you know, there was the oxygen article. What's what's it been like with all of this press and new attention?
2: It's, um, it's been overwhelming, actually, because I work to for, a, I'm on a mission for a cause. And that's just like a secondary um, response, I guess, to something that I truly believe in. And I, I don't know, I don't have an answer as to how it feels, i just, I'm just blown away that it's getting so much recognition, but at the same time, that's not why I do what I do. I do what I do to have answers for these families and to give these, vi- you know, not victims, but give these deceased persons and sometimes victims, like in the Samuel Little victim case, um, their names back.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for what you're doing. And, uh, I don't know, you know, where you go from here, but, uh, Hey, over in Louisiana, we, we would love your help and assistance as well if you ever get to that point. Well now, why don't I you like-
0: finish with Mississippi. We'll <laughs> move on.
1: <laughs> well, I
2: would love to, to see all of these cases solved. Um, I'm really focused on my home state, but I am open to all states and I do hope you know every state can benefit from all these people who
0: are dedicated to the cause. Absolutely. And I hope that we see, you know, some programming that can teach people how to, um, you know, make methodologically sound decisions and stuff like that. So you can get some um, some a growing body of researchers, hopefully.
2: Um, Have you heard of the Institute for Investigative Genealogy?
0: No, please tell us. Wait, wait
2: one second. Is it investigative genealogy? No, it's genetic genealogy. I'm sorry. Have you heard of the Institute for Genetic Genealogy? Because no. that is that was co-founded by CeCe Moore. And she, every year before the pandemic hit, she would do I4GG conferences. And there's a load of information. And if you... If you go, if you, if you join the group, you can access some of those conferences and it's a wealth of information and it's a learning tool that everyone should utilize.
0: Absolutely. I love that. You know, definitely getting people together who are doing the work is huge in progress for the field. So I love that that's happening. I do too. I feel like we've asked all our pre-prepared questions, but is there anything that we didn't get to cover that you would like to talk about? The only thing I would like to talk
2: about is just encouraging people who are listening to this podcast to please take a family tree DNA test or if you've taken a DNA test from another testing company to please upload those results to family tree DNA and to GEDmatch so that we can solve more of these cases more rapidly.
0: Absolutely. Yes. And I mean, I think some people have some fear. I've heard some people say like, um, you know, I don't understand what they're going to do with my DNA or, 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 stuff like that. But I sort of feel like if my th- third cousin, once removed, did something bad, let's catch him, right? (laughs) I I am with you on that. The
2: thing is, um, there is a fear of, of, I do hear this, but what they see on on the screen is exactly what we see. If they cannot get the information from the people that they're seeing, they have to know that we cannot get the information from what we are seeing because we only see what they see.
1: Well, thank you so much. And, um, uh, you know, for also everyday people listening, is there a way that they can contribute some monetary uh, help as well with these cases? Where can they go? So they can go to DNA Solves.
2: It's ran by Othron, and they they can contribute to any case that appeals to them. There is also another platform, Justice Drive, um, where you can also donate to cases. Awesome. I love that. Everyone should consider making a Christmas donation. Yes. (laughs) Well, all donations are very much appreciated and it does help these agencies who do, who does not have the funding to solve cases, to solve these cases. It will help them to gain the funds so that these cases can be solved. Because as long as there's DNA, if there is DNA available, it can be sent to a lab like Authron and test it. And chances are there is going to be a whole genome sequence, um, a DNA sequencing, and once that is sequenced, it gets uploaded to these sites and people, genetic genealogists can come in and work those cases and provide the leads and these cases can get solved. So yes, please donate and please consider uploading your DNA to these these um, consumer DNA testing companies.
0: Thank you so much for your time and the work that you do, and just being another one of the many badass women that we get to come yes. across in this process. <laughs> thank well, thank you so much. I am just honored to
2: be here, and I wish you guys so much success with your podcast. I love the name; it's just wonderful.
0: Thank you, thank you, and. Thank uh, I guess we're signing out. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you guys.
1: Bye. Bye.